can have a seat. Good to see all of you. My name is Jill Erickson. I'm usually back here in my comfort zone. So this, this makes me shaky, but I'm feeling better after having one service under my belt. So it's good to see all of your beautiful, smiling, and friendly faces. Um, that just blessed me. On Friday night, uh, I took a team of uh, 12, including besides myself, and we went to the Lionel Lakes Correctional Facility. We've done this a couple of times where we take a team from the worship arts and put on a worship service for um, the offenders that are there. And there's about 250 that come. And we sang that song. And uh, it's one thing to sing it here. And then when you go into a place like the prison and you sing the words to the song Stronger, or really the lyrics to any of the songs we sang, and you watch a room of 250-plus people, men, um, who are not free physically, but free spiritually, and just releasing praise unto God and being completely filled with joy. And to see them lifting up and giving a sacrifice of praise, it's just like, wow, it's just a blessing. So that just blessed me and brought me back to, to that experience. Today's sermon is called Lost and Found, and if you're just joining us, we are in a series on Luke and his examination of Jesus, his gospel, and today we're going to be opening up to Luke 15. But before we do that, I would be amiss if I did not share a funny story. So here it goes. Is Joel in here? Is my husband in here? Oh, hi, honey. Okay. I want you to know that I got his permission to tell this story, so don't feel bad for him. After the service, Rick's like... Why were you so mad at Joel? So I had to, you know, it's okay. It's okay. I'm not mad at him anymore. So here's the story. (laughs) Recently, Joel and I went on a trip to Florida, and we drove. We drove there. And so we ended up, you can can put it up, Dory. We we ended up kind of on this path toward Florida, and it brought up memories for us of a trip that we took about 14 years ago ago to Freeport, Illinois, to visit my aunt for Christmas. Now, The girls were little, and we let them skip school that day and go ahead with my parents. So my parents left during the day and got there during the daytime hours, and Joel and I left after work, and we didn't leave for this seven-hour trip at the time until, like, 6 or 7 o'clock at night. So there was no GPS. There was no Siri. There was no voice navigation. There were beautifully handwritten in my mom's best cursive instructions on how to get there. We'd never been there. So um, Joel and I stopped at this truck stop in Baldwin, Wisconsin. And as we were, I went to his bathroom and I came out and Joel was completely mesmerized by this rack of books on tape. He's like, babe, I think we should get a book on tape. It would really help pass the time. And I said, well, you know, I'm really tired. I mean, it's, it's like seven and I'm exhausted. (laughs) He's like, come on. Let's, let's listen to this book on tape. I think it'd be really good. So we bought it. We get in the car. We start driving. Cheesiest uh, narrator, is that what you call them? And how many of you have ever done a book on tape? It really is, it really is up to that person. That's a big job. Like you better, I better like you if I'm going to listen to your voice for 15 hours. You better do a good job. This, okay, Morgan Freeman. This guy was not Morgan Freeman, Dan. He was just... You know, and overdramatic. 
overdramatic about everything that he said. I just couldn't take it. I was just like, oh, whatever. Here's my husband. This is, this is so good, babe. I am totally, I know this guy's kind of cheesy, but I am like, I am dying here. I wonder what's going to happen next. And I said, you know, I, I put up with it for a couple of hours, and I said, I am going to sleep. And so if you get tired and you need me to drive for a while, wake me up. He's like, I'm golden. I'm great. I'm into this story. I'm, I'm good. So I said, okay. And I, I said, no, honey, before I go to sleep, I just need you to remember this, okay? And I had my mom's handwritten instructions. We are on 94. You're going to come to a cross. You're going to come to a choice, Joel, a choice. 90 or 94. 94 goes to Milwaukee. No, no. We're going here. We're going here. We're going to Freeport, which is right by Rockford, Illinois. So when you get up there on 90, you're just going to keep on coming down here. Don't, don't go over here. Okay? Just keep, keep towards Freeport. Okay? So the thing to remember, honey, is stay with 90. Say it with me. Stay with 90. Don't go to Milwaukee. He's like, I got it. I got it. Don't worry. I got it. Last words I remember saying. Just remember, stay with 90. I wake up three hours later to these bright flashing lights in my eyes, and I open my eyes, and I see this huge stadium to my, out my window. And there's these big flashing billboards that says, Brewer Stadium. <laughs> if you know me you know that it was, what is about to be reenacted is not an exaggeration Brewer Stadium yeah babe Brewer Stadium it has a retractable roof isn't isn't Brewer Stadium in Milwaukee? Yeah. We, we're in Milwaukee. Brewer Stadium. Isn't that just the coolest thing? I lost it. Lost it on my husband. I was just like, Milwaukee! We're three, you guys, we were three hours in the wrong direction. Three hours in the wrong direction. We're in Milwaukee, and it's midnight it's midnight. Quickly, Joel hits the book on tape off. He hits the power button. He goes, no big deal. We'll just turn around. We'll just turn around. We'll go back. And I said, turn around and go back? No, we can't turn around and go back. It's going to take forever. There's got to be a shorter way. Let's stop and ask for help. Oh, no, 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 no. We're... <laughs> Jill, Jill, we don't need to. We can figure this out. Jill, we can figure this out. Just calm down. Calm down and we'll figure this out. Calm down. Calm down. It's midnight. The whole family, our children, everybody is waiting for us in Freeport, Illinois. For Christmas to start, okay, they're all waiting, and we're three hours off, off, off. It's midnight, and you want to turn around. You want us to figure this out. You want us to figure this out. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's like, we can figure it out. Let's just, let's get a map. And I said, Joel, we are going to pull over at the nearest gas station, and we are going to go in, and we are going to ask for help. We're going to ask how we can get back. Oh, no, we're not. We're not asking for help. Jill, we are going to ask for help. We are. Oh, no, we're not. Jill, we are 30 years old. We can figure this out. Something magic happens at 30 years old? I missed it. 
So, <laughs> finally, that just escalates, and Joel relents, and he pulls into a gas station. As he's pulling in, I unbuckle. I'm ready. I'm going to jump out, and this arm comes flying across my chest. He goes, woman, stay in your seat. <laughs> He was not going to let me go in there. So he goes, he goes in, he gets a map. We end up calling my uncle and we get back on the road and we find a way. It's going to be about two and a half hours of necessary driving. But for the next two and a half hours, we found our way back to where we were supposed to be, found our way and got, got to Freeport. But in that two and a half hours, spoken in that car. The book on tape was off. There was no radio playing. There was no chit-chat. It was silence. Except for Jill's occasional this is your right. Turn left here. (laughs) We got to our destination, pulled up in front of my aunt's house. And I was livid. I was still just so mad at him that I couldn't even speak. And I got out of the car and I slammed the door and I said, I want a divorce to my whole family that's standing out on the sidewalk that were still up and waiting for us. I was just overreacting just a little. Joel gets out of the car and he shuts the door and he just kind of stands there and he looks at my family. And my dad takes a step forward to say, so what happened? And Joel drops down on the ground in the snow and proceeds to laugh in hysterics long beyond after I left and went to bed. So (laughs) we now laugh really hard at that story, and he did give me permission to tell it. (laughs) It's kind of one of our claims to fame as a married couple. So stay with I-90. Stay with I-90 if you go from here to um, Rockford, Illinois. Um, If you have your Bibles this morning, would you open to Luke 15? This isn't the kind of getting lost that we're going to be diving into today. Ours is more of a spiritual nature. If you don't um, have a Bible at home, we would love for you to take one with you today. They're on the back tables as you walk out, and it's just free of charge. There's no strings attached, so please take that with you if you'd like. Um, Luke 15. We're going to start start with just the first three verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. When I was looking at my um, ESV study Bible, it had this to say. Luke wanted his readers to understand that the gospel is for all, both Jews and Gentiles alike. Since Jesus is the promised one of God as prophesied in the Old Testament and as attested through God's saving activity in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Luke does a great job of setting the scene in this section of scripture. In fact, an outstanding distinctive throughout Luke's gospel is his vivid descriptive detail. It really is unlike any of the other gospels. And so as we read through this chapter this morning, my challenge to all of us is to just kind of snap out of how we routinely might read the scripture, and I actually want you to take a place at that table. 
with Jesus, the tax collectors, the sinners, and the Pharisees. I want you to enter in fully with your imagination, and I'm going to do the same. Luke also reveals that Jesus' popularity is growing. And last week, if you were here, Tim talked a little bit about that. Um, Jesus' popularity was growing, but not in the direction expected or appreciated. Jesus was becoming increasingly popular with those who were considered outcasts, those who had ears to hear. So who was there? We see, as we just read, the tax collectors, the sinners, and the Pharisees. Now, the tax collectors, had a, they were, there was a stereotype surrounding them, and they were known as the untrustworthy. Don't trust them. The sinners were the labeled lost. Okay? They had that label. They were the outcasts. They were lost. They weren't doing life correctly. They weren't following the law. And then the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they kind of get a, a bad rap. <laughs> when we, if, if you've been in the church for any length of time, Pharisee is a you know, very negative term. But really simply put, the Pharisees, they were wholehearted rule followers. They loved God. And it was with passion and fervor, and it was what they lived for, was to follow his ways, follow his laws. Wholehearted rule followers. All three of these groups had lost their way in some way. Haven't we all? In your notes, you have a place to write the following parallels. So if you have a pen, let's go ahead and fill these in. The tax collectors had lost their way in their vocation. The sinners had lost their way in life. And the Pharisees had lost their way in their religion. Now let's pause for a moment here and consider something. Take a look at what you've just written. And I want to ask you, whom do you identify with here today? Can you identify with these tax collectors who are considered untrustworthy? They kind of have a label on them because of what their job is. Are you lost in your job? Have you kind of lost your way? Do you identify with a sinner? Have, are you lost in your life right now? You've kind of gotten off track. Can you relate to the Pharisees? Have you gotten caught up and kind of have your identity in your religion or your denomination or your doctrine? Consider who you might identify with and circle it. Circle the group that you identify with here today. And then in the space below, we're just going to take a few seconds, and I'd like you to jot down the reasons why you identify with that group. If you're like me, then there are seasons in your life in which you've experienced how each of these feel. As Luke 15 continues, Jesus tells all three groups these three stories. The lost sheep, 
the lost coin, and the lost son. As we enter into these three stories, you will see a pattern unfold, and it goes like this. There's a place for you to write this in your notes as well. There is something of great value that is lost. It is found, and there is rejoicing. There is something of great value that is lost. It is found, and there is rejoicing. Let's pick it up at verse 4. We're going to read first the parable of the lost sheep. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully, say that with me, joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Do you see that in verse 5? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Not begrudgingly, not, well, where have you been? I've waited long enough for you to come around. No, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And then he calls his friends and he calls his neighbors and says, Rejoice with me. Jesus is moral. Well, Jesus says, There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus holds that one lost soul who is now found In the highest regard. Have you lost your way? You are of great value to Jesus. Jesus is also sending a message to the Pharisees here. He wants them to rejoice over the fact that he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Not mutter amongst themselves against it. Jesus is inviting them to rejoice with him that they're here. They're eating with him. They're asking him questions. They have ears to hear. They're being found. Cheer up. That hits home for me. Have we lost our joy as a church? If you consider yourself to be a mature believer who's been in the church your whole life, What's your response when a miracle happens? What's your response when the lost are found? What's your response when the unexpected happens? Let's look at the next parable, the parable of the lost coin, starting at verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, who does she call? Her friends and neighbors. Hello, are you there? And she says, what's the word, everybody? Rejoice. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God 
over one sinner who repents. How cool is it here that Jesus uses the example of a woman to depict God? In this time and culture, mm -mm. it was rare to use a woman as an illustration, let alone to illustrate who God is. Jesus saw women as as valuable. Valuable. Now, what is the big deal about this lost coin? What is the significance? This silver coin that this woman lost was a Greek drachma. It was equivalent to about a day's wage. Now, it could be that this woman was poor. And so losing a whole day's wage would be a big deal. It also could be that it wasn't about the monetary value at all. But the significance of the coin that would make her desperate to find it. I did some research and learned that there's a strong possibility that this was a missing coin from this woman's wedding headdress. In Palestine, rather than a ring to signify that you were married, a woman was given a headdress, and it was made of ten silver coins that were linked together by a chain. Its value was significant. It was her identity. It could never be taken from a married woman. Not even to pay a debt. She lost a part of it. She lost a part of her identity. It could be the reason why she was searching so desperately for it. When our oldest daughter, Kelsey, was about nine years old, our family took a trip up to the North Shore. Gotta love it, Kels. And we uh, decided to go for a walk on the boardwalk at Canal Park. And Kylie and Joel and I wanted to walk, but Kelsey was adventurous, and she wanted to take her bike, and she wanted to go by herself and meet us later. And we said, well... <laughs> but we will let you go ahead of us a ways. And so we kind of set up this routine with her where we said, okay, you see that blue pole up there? You can bike to that and then wait for us. And then we'd get to that checkpoint. And we'd say, okay, you see where the malt shop goes up to the malt shop? Okay, you can wait there for us. And we were doing that. And then we got to the bottom of a hill. And we said, okay, Kels, you can go up the hill and then you can go down the hill. And you can wait at the bottom of the hill. Because you know the joy of going up a hill is going down the hill on a bike. So you don't want to, like, make them stop at the top. So I said, you can go up the hill, and then at the bottom of the hill, wait for us. She said, okay. So we we were walking, and we saw her on her bike, and she got up to the top of the hill, and then we saw her little head disappear. And we got up there, I don't know, maybe a minute later. And I looked down at the bottom of the hill, and I don't see her. And I thought... Maybe she misunderstood. Maybe she's around that corner. You know, maybe she's where the rose garden is. And so we went down to the bottom of the hill, and we went to the next little area where I would think she might think she misunderstood. Not there. Something set in, and it's called sheer panic in my gut. And within an instant, I had her kidnapped, harmed, dead. I mean, it just, I just went there. 
Anybody can relate to me with me on that? It was just like, boom, I was there and I was desperate. And I was like, where is she? So we, I'm like, Joel, where is she? Joel, calm, steady, optimistic. You know, she's like, I'm sure she just misunderstood. Let's just keep walking. Let's just, let's go down here. So of course I'm like, I'm seeing my pace. I'm dragging Kylie with me. And we get to the next possibility of where she might be. No Kelsey. Next bend. No Kelsey. One block, two blocks, three blocks, ten blocks. Five minutes. Fifteen minutes. Thirty minutes. I'm a mess. Joel. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. We have to find her. Joel says, Jill, let's turn around. She would not have gone this far on her own. Let's turn around. I'm going to run. And I see my husband, who's usually totally like, it's going to be fine. Take off running. And I knew we were in a situation. I knew, oh, my goodness. And I start praying, Jesus, Jesus, please, wherever she is, just pop her out, pop her out. (laughs) Let him see her. Protection, protection, Jesus, Jesus. You know, and I'm dragging Kylie, and we're, like, walking as fast as we can, and I'm searching. I'm searching up on, you know, where the Rose Garden is and all these other places where she possibly could be looking for us. It took us about 30 minutes to get back, and I see we get back to that hill. And at the top of the hill, in the distance, I see Joel with Kelsey sitting on a big boulder. And what happened was Joel had ran, and he got to the bottom of the hill, and he looked up, and he saw Kelsey on the boulder with a woman. And this woman had found Kelsey out on Superior Street, out on the street. And she had gotten to the top of the hill, and the sidewalk either curved or it went straight, and she just curved. She curved. She didn't go down the hill. She curved, and she went out onto Superior Street. I guess she has the directions like her dad. (laughs) And... We went right we went right on by. We went right on by and this woman, Kelsey stopped on Superior Street and was like and a woman came up to her and saw this dazed look in her face and said, Hey honey, are you are you lost? This wonderful woman. Thank God for that woman. The right woman, a safe woman. <laughs> and Kelsey explained, yeah, my parents told me to, like, stop at the bottom of the hill. And she's like, oh, I think you must mean this hill. And she walked her back onto the path, and they waited on the rock until Joel came back and found, when I saw her sitting on that rock, my desperation turned into so much joy. It was as if she'd been gone for 15 years I mean, that, that relief that she was safe and she was okay And we were just on her. And she was like, what? You know, but it was just, oh, we were so thankful. When we read this story and we understand the significance of what was indeed lost, we can see why Jesus uses the joy of this woman finding a piece of her identity, finding her lost coin. Jesus uses this kind of joy to show us a picture of what God's rejoicing with the angels looks like when a person who is lost and found. And my joy over finding my lost daughter who was lost for 30 minutes doesn't even put a ripple in the water of God's joy when a lost person turns to him. You are of great value. 
And when you are found, there is rejoicing. Let's look at the last parable, the parable of the lost son. And before we read this last story together, I want you to look back into your notes at what you possibly circled, what you wrote, whom you identify with and why. Lock it in. This is who you say you are right now. This is what you re- who you relate to right now. And before we read the story, I want you to just be able to relate to who these characters represent that are with Jesus. So fill in the blank. The father in this story that we're about to read is God. The younger son represents the tax collectors and the sinners, the outcasts. And the older son represents the Pharisees, the ones who never left, never veered from the way. As we read this last story, I want you to enter into the story as that character you circled, that character who you identify with right now in your life. And then I want you to note and experience, experience the Father's response to you in this story. Let's look at verse, starting at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a young man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Side note, in this time, in this time in history, in this culture, a Middle Eastern man did not run. That was very undignified not very honorable. He ran. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's, what's the word? Celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he, was, he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother 
became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed you. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Are you the old, are you the younger son? All of us at one time or another have been the younger son. The lost son, the lost daughter. I certainly have been on the road of my way. And you know what? God didn't stop me. Notice here in this story that the father went ahead, divided up the property between his sons, and let the younger son go his way. He let him make his choice. God, our Father, is no different. He does allow you to make your own choices. Our choices are not without consequences. This story makes that quite clear. Notice also that we are the runners, not God. He doesn't run away from us. He is steadfast, everlasting, true, strong, stayed. He longs for you. He waits for you. He watches for you. If you are running right now, following your own path, making your own way, trying to do it all by yourself, Know this, there is a God who created you, loves you, waits and longs for you. And you know what else? He runs, but not away. Toward. He runs toward you. His forgiveness and mercy are instantaneous. We don't have to go through an obstacle course or rituals to get back. To God. I love that part of this story. Here I am. I've wandered off. I'm trying to do it on my own. My way isn't working. As soon as I turn from my sin and toward God, he runs to me. Younger son, younger daughter, you are of great value to God. Are you the older son in this story? I've been there. There have been seasons in my faith where I'm working so hard to love God, to please him, to serve him, to do the right thing. I'm committed. Others may come and go, but I stay. And then something happens. Something out of the norm, out of my comfort zone, out of my knowns. Change that hurts or makes me uncomfortable. Messiness. And how do I respond? Once again, the Father allows me to choose what I will do. I can become angry. I can refuse to join him in what he is doing. I can grumble to other people 
about how I don't like this change or I don't like this messiness, how I think this is unfair. And what is God the Father's response to me? It's verses 31 and 32. My son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. Isn't it beautiful that God doesn't get angry with us in return? Look at that loving appeal. He goes on to say, Jill, you have my love. You've not been separated from me. You've been walking with me every step of the way all these years. Don't separate from me now. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the loss being found. Let's celebrate the change that I am effecting in the church, in people. Join me. Rejoice. Jesus is imploring the Pharisees here. And he implores us to jump in and get in the game with him. To love the lost, love the hurting, love the broken, and celebrate when they come to the Father. Celebrate when they're found. My brothers and sisters, you are of great value. You are Christ. You are not your vocation. You are not your religion. You are not your denomination. You are not your life's choices. You are not your illness. You are not what someone else did to you or who someone else said you are. You are the beloved's. You are Christ. You are of great value. You are worth being found. You are worth rejoicing over. When my youngest daughter, Kylie, was 16, she returned home. She was found. You know what's crazy is we didn't even know she was lost. Only Jesus knew that she was lost. Like many teenagers, Kylie was in an identity crisis. Kylie was living lies. She was telling lies and she was living lies. She was far from God. And she was pretending to be close to him. It was summer. And our family was all up at the cabin in Duluth. And Kylie had been to church at my parents' church, the vineyard up in Duluth. And the message just got a hold of her. God got a hold of her in that message. And she held on to it for a week. She was different that week, just quiet, withdrawn. And then the next week we came back to the cabin for Father's Day. Father's Day. Saturday night, went to the church service again. And the next day on Father's Day, Joel and I were in the cabin preparing lunch, and Kylie walked in. She couldn't do it anymore. She couldn't go one more day as a liar. She came into the cabin, and she opened up her mouth, and she poured out the truth. And more truth. And more truth, and more truth, 
and more truth. And it went on for months. Kylie wanted to come up in her memory with anything dishonest she could have ever possibly done. You see, she had turned. God was that faithful, patient father, and Kylie was his. And he was longing, waiting, watching for her return. And in that church service, Kylie turned, and the father ran to meet her. And we watched over the next few months as he put a robe of righteousness on my daughter. We watched as he gave her a place at the head of the table. We saw redemption happening right in front of us. There's no words, so that's why I, I have this, and I keep this with me in my office. speaks better than any words I can come up with, really. We are of great value. You are of great value. The Father will stop at nothing to find you. And when he does, when you're ready to be found, there will be great rejoicing with the angels in heaven. Whether you're a tax collector, you're not trustworthy. Whether you're a sinner... You've lost your way and you're trying to fill up that void with other things that are not Jesus. Or if you're a Pharisee who's so deeply ingrained in religion, in, in Christian ease, that you've lost your joy. He loves you. You're of great value. You are Christ. And you know what? It is only to the degree that we are in Christ that we can rejoice in others finding their identity in Christ. If we're not rejoicing, it's because I've got to, if I'm not rejoicing, that's because I'm wrapped up in something else. It's an identity crisis of mine. That summer, four years ago, after all of this happened, I was a shocked mom. It was just, what? <laughs> and it was like every 30 minutes, Kylie was coming up to me for months saying, um, I thought of another lie. I mean, she just, confession is good for the soul, you know? I mean, she was a new creature, and she wanted it gone. She wanted that filth. She wanted that newness on. But I was exhausted hearing it. <laughs> she was like, I can't take anymore. <laughs> I was laying on the dock. And I was feeling like a failure as a parent. I was just stunned. How did I not know? I just laid down in the sun and the radio was playing. Secular station, just so you know. Songs booming out over the lake. And then this song came on. I didn't work it up. I didn't make it up in my brain. It was clear. It was Jesus singing to me. And now he sings it to you. To make you feel my love. To make you feel my love.
Are you on the highway of regret? The winds of change are blowing wild and free. You've not seen anything like him. He stopped at nothing to make you feel his love. Not even death on a cross could stop him. Reach out to him. Turn. Turn. He's right there running. Running towards you. If you feel like that's too big of a step to take, we've got prayer, a prayer team that would love to pray with you today about anything. Your job, your marriage, your relationships. You feeling lost? Take that step. You are of great value. You are worth rejoicing over. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your undying, unbeatable love. Give us the courage to turn. Give us the courage to allow you to put on our robe of righteousness. Thank you, God, for your patience and your love. We love you. Amen.